Welcome, friends, to Radio Free Muncie, broadcasting from the back of a van somewhere in the Muncie greater metropolitan area, and your source for reviews and discussion of the Knights of the Dinner Table comic created by Jolly Blackburn, published by Kenzer & Company. So jump onto your Vespa, ride down to the games pit, crack open your dice bag, and grab a character sheet. It's game on. So episode one of Radio Free Muncie. Here we are in the back of the van on the corner of 6th and Madison. I see there's a Dollar General across the street. We should we should park in that plasma center. Oh, yeah, I'll pull, I'll pull in here. There. Nobody ever goes there, I bet. Yeah, no, yeah nobody goes there. We'll no. pull in here. But not, not this time of night anyway. Right. Let's just do a quick introduction. Uh, we'll go around the table here. George, if you want to go ahead. Well, I'm uh, George Fields. Um, my intro to uh, KODT was in Dragon Magazine back in the 90s. I didn't actually start collecting the comic till around 2009 when I switched to the new version of Hackmaster and started getting them for the Hackmaster articles. But I've... It's become a part of my life in a way, thanks to Jolly. So I'm Steve. Uh, I think I met George the same time I started playing Hackmaster at uh, ASIN. 2013. Back in 2013. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Played a lot of Hackmaster for about 10 years. Or not 10 years. I guess about eight. But, um, and... uh, you know, just read a lot of KODT. I've been gaming with these guys like every week for years now. Um, otherwise, not much to say about myself. I'm just a KODT fan. Not a not an Uber fan like George. I haven't collected everything KODT, Hackmaster, and Calamar. I just uh, suckle at the teat of his knowledge, I guess. <laughs> uh, I like that. You give my knowledge more credit than it has. Yeah, so my name's Wes. I'm a uh, I'm a longtime KODT fan. Actually, the the first I was introduced to it was back when it first came out, and I didn't even realize it. A friend of mine was like, hey, you got to check this comic out. So I picked one up and got distracted with life. I think I'd, I'd just gotten, I think we'd just moved or something. We were, you know, kind of young. We just married a couple of years. Got distracted by life, and years later, uh, the same friend was like, hey, man, are you still reading the magazine? And I was like, oh, crap, man, I forgot. And so I went back and dug the issue out, and it was actually issue number two. And and he was like, that's the only issue I don't have in my collection is number two. And it was just like rent, like in my, you know, gaming stuff for like years. I don't know. So anyway, got back into it then and joined the forums and, you know, obviously got ex- Exposed to Hackmaster and Calamar kind of all at the same time. And been a fan ever since. So that's where I'm coming from here. And you you rose through the ranks on the forum, right? Like you were a administrator oh. or something like that. I think I got banned by you one time. I think a couple of times, actually. You kept trying to come back as different names, like not Steve <laughs> and, you know. Yeah. You were just too smart for me, though. I I, I was never able to maintain my yeah, presence the, there. The forums is where I started uh, getting a lot more involved with all of it as well. I think I joined him like 2005 and Wes was already a big wig on her by then. I was a servant servant of the people, really. Not not so much a big wig, but yeah, a lot of cool folks on there. Had a lot of fun. Someday we'll have a we'll have a forum again, I think. So what, what the show is all about, this episode episode number one review of the first nights of the dinner table future shows it's it's really whatever you know whatever we can think up to whatever we want to talk about whatever we want it's first issue first episode makes sense right so we gotta we gotta do that yep but next time we'll talk about george's beard (laughs) yeah it's getting pretty epic it is 
He's getting a little weird Pete look about him, I think. Hmm. Oh, man. That's spot on. You're exactly right. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, Go you're ahead. good. Carry on. So we're so why would why would a listener, you know, give a shit about this podcast? If you're a Knights of the Dinner Table fan or a gamer in general, if you like good comedy, I will say, you know, the earlier issues for me, it's a lot of a lot of good gamer humor kind of poking fun at at ourselves. You know, obviously the Jolly and the D team are are big time gamers, they're not just making a comic about gamers, you know. Right. And there was no uh, running story arc in the early issues as well. They're all just individual things, and right. Well, and these these first issue is not with Kenzer and company anyway. The, this the is first three issues aren't. Yeah, th- this is out of uh, it's published by Shadis. Is it Shadis or Shadis? I was never sure. Well, uh, <laughs> uh, Aldrich Entertainment. Well, yeah, I get that, but it's Shadis or Shadis. I always and I always wanted to ask. I never asked Jolly, like where, why he used that name. That was always like I was thinking about that the other day when I was kind of going through like, oh, what can we talk about? It? And I'm like, Shadis. What? Like what? What the hell is a Shadis anyway? I don't get it. That's a good point. We'll have to put that in our to do list to to divine what, how you pronounce that and where it came from. Yeah, but yeah, you're exactly right. First three issues were was a bit like jolly and like a dot matrix printer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, the, the yeah, and you're exactly right about the first episodes. It was just a lot of just collection of strips, you know, funny stuff, but didn't really start getting into the weaving the the storylines until later on. But really good stuff. Kind of took it to the next level, which is like the the modern. KODT pushing issue 300 here pretty soon. Yeah, B's working on it right now. Yeah, it's, it's a, quite an achievement coming up. So, yeah, we're excited about that. It's uh, about to be the longest-running comic book with the original artist. So, so I guess let's dig right in to issue number one, if you guys are ready. Strip one, layer of the gazebo, classic strip misunderstandings lead to gamer humor a lot of urban legend around the source material for that strip but if you're not familiar somebody in the in the party doesn't realize or somebody a player in a group doesn't realize what a gazebo is thinks it's a monster well not somebody none of them yeah all three of the players, yeah, in the don't know what a gazebo is, and they immediately attack it before it gets a chance to attack them. You're exactly. Right. I'm thinking of the original right. story. It was like yeah. one dude. Oh, oh, oh! I don't know about that. Yeah, I Eric, we about Eric that. and the gazebo. Yeah, there's actually a section about that at the end of Bot One. Yeah, that's what I'm reading. I'm reading the bot. So I saw the, the, the little story there the guy wrote. It was pretty interesting that he went on to give talks at game conventions and he would have people come up to him and say, hey, you stole my friend's story. When he'd been telling that story for like 15 yeah. years. But Yeah, I didn't see that. I don't, I'm, I'm not looking at the bots. I have issue number one. The, P- the PDF. I'm not cool enough to have the actual issue number one, but so I can like see all the old artwork, the Phineas Fingers ad. Yep. He's got the shade, the, the shadus or shadus. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of like little strips and little things in the in the original issue, little things in the side. Yeah, like how when uh, BA tells them to come over this uh, nice uh, maintained garden and Tells them there's a gazebo, and they're all like, gazebo? And what the hell's that? Huh, quiet garden indeed. I knew B.A. was up to something. As uh, the uh, untouchable trio are, they always think that uh, B.A.'s trying to pull one over on them one way or another. Yeah, I was just going to say that. It's like, there's like such a theme through the whole, well, as much of it as I've read anyway, that about, it's always like oppositional, you know, like they're like, Oh, if he says there's nothing, there's definitely something. If he says there's something, it's something different, you know, like that, that's in one of the later strips too. I think, uh, actually I think it's in a couple yeah. of the later strips, but these guys would be like the worst players to yeah, for an actual with. group. 
But then going through this again, I realize that BA has got a few problems too. Or <laughs> if we're gonna if we're gonna evaluate these guys as gaming uh, skills, which I don't know if we should or not. <laughs> yeah, he does. And you know the the big thing that jumped out to me, Sarah. This is pre Sarah, right? So Sarah, BA's cousin. You know, she's kind of the you know, the, the straight person in the group, like you got all these nutty characters and she's really kind of the normal mature one that, you know, is there for the right reasons and, you know, knows how to role play and all that. She would have known what a gazebo, if she had been there, you know, it would have been a pretty short strip. So. Oh no. Cause she would have been, um, guys, um, guys, but we, maybe we should get, and they would have just totally ignored her yeah. like they do. And, uh, you know, over and over and over again because they're so yeah. sure. Well, that, that's a good point. Yep. Quite, sir. Let the professionals take care of this. The the other thing, the other thing that's in this first issue that I, I think a lot of people don't realize is just how uncontrollably violent these guys are. Um, very first strip, we got a table flip. All right. Oh wait, is it the first strip? No, it's the second. It's the one. second. Oh, one. question. Oh, we're going to talk about that in a minute. Yeah, never mind. We'll talk about that one. But uh, yeah, there. Jolly was telling me this guy wrote in one time about Sarah grabbed Dave's shirt or something. It was threatening to punch him. I can't remember the strip, but I think it's like a few well, issues that, down. That like, happens in a lot of them, actually. <laughs> well, right, right, and dude, and someone actually wrote in a letter to KODT like. She'd be picking her teeth up off the floor. Like, I was a little surprised by that. But, you know, like, it's it's such a joke. And why would someone react to that over, like, these guys flipping tables and taping each other and hanging from the lights and going to a bar and having ultimate wrestling matches and all that other kind of shit, you know? Um, these guys are always kind of smacking each other around. Yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah, to your point, I, and we can go on to the second strip. And and I actually let's let me back up for a second here. I missed issue number one is not ready for syndication is the title of the issue, and you can see a recent issue, and I do not have it here at my fingertips. I think it was uh, two ninety seven or two ninety eight was a very similar cover. It was kind of a callback to issue one. It was called "Still Not Ready for Syndication." So. With that said, second strip, a question of honor. So this this is about, you know, you're a DM. Do you trust the, the players to roll their dice when when maybe it looks a little too good? You know, like, you know, all 18s, really? Okay, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I got lucky that day. I have been DMing for, I don't know, 30-some years, right? I have never seen a player generate random ability scores correctly <laughs> and honestly the first time through ever, ever. I've never, I mean, and I know a little bit about math and I have never seen anybody make six consecutive rolls and exceed the average by a lot over and over, but they will swear up and down like, this is, I've never had anyone flip a table over it, but I mean, to me, this is kind of assumed, right? Like you just assume the players are going to try to yeah, start yeah, with that, every, that's, edge they can and every edge they can. Exactly. Back in the day, that's why I like to roll my abilities in front of exactly. the DM because I, I don't even trust myself. So if it's, I, I want to know if, if I roll two 18s, you saw it, I saw it. No question. Yeah, but what happens when you roll three eights or a five? And then you're like, oh, kid, do I have to keep that? No, go ahead. Don't worry about it. I A lot of people don't like point by, but I I had that discussion so many times, I started to kind of like point by. Like, just, yeah. I, I, I don't want to get in a game mechanic. I know George probably thinks that's blasphemy, but... I, we did one just recently, um, and Becca, of course, came in with a character that had like two 18s and a 17. So, oh. No, Steve, Andy saw me roll it. <laughs> oh, of Whatever. course, yeah. Whatever. Your husband's not going to, you know, out yeah, you. Come on. And, and if 
if you didn't don't have the uh, DM watching, if you do get lucky and roll really well like that, they're not still not going to believe you anyway. So, like Wes said, I prefer to have the GM watch me roll them. I will say that the very first character I ever rolled up, you know, back in the day, back in the eighties, it was a ranger for first edition, and I I did end up with an eighteen strength and roll percentiles, and uh, I believe I was somewhere in the seventies, but. It was it was hardcore. I mean, we we did it straight up, but the guys watching me because I know. Yeah, I think sure. one of the best ones I ever rolled up, straight in order, three d six. The guy was first edition, except for missing charisma by one point, he qualified to be a paladin. I got a sixteen on charisma instead of the seventeen. Oh man! And yeah, I've never I. I've, seen hundreds of characters roll up when I was younger before point by became so popular. I've never seen anybody roll scores like that. First time out of the box with no, Oh wait, no, I didn't start yet. Oh, wait, because they don't actually start rolling their character till they get one high number. Right? Oh, I'm just practicing so, my rolls got, right now. You guys, you guys are players. So I know you're lying about it just by default. So I, uh, sorry, I don't believe it. <laughs> I never believe any of the rolls. They, they all rolled off the table. Oh, so now we got to decide. It's cocked. I bumped it. These aren't my lucky dice. Oh, wait. I, that was a practice roll. Uh, it bounced off like, his can of soda. Yeah. What what they call it in, in Nice at the Dinner Table? It's like a leaning Lucy or something like that. It's like a they, they have all the terms for all the, the ways that, you know, dice can look funky and you try to weasel your way into a better role. It's not, it's not, a, it's not a, a legal role in some way. There's got to be some some problem with it so that you can. Uh, yeah, it hit my foot, hit no. my book. It rolled off my book onto the table. Obviously, you right, can't right. count that. It's my lucky book. Uh, one of my wife's friends wanted to try it so a couple of years ago. Uh, so we, she rolled up a character, and her very first stat roll turn for Hackmaster was in eighteen ninety seven. Oh man! So she had a strong dwarf, and it was the only character death in the in the short lived game that we played. Yeah, you never hear about people saying their first character had a three. <laughs> why? I wonder. I wonder why that is. I wonder what it is about the probability of making a character that nobody ever says, Oh yeah, my first character had a three or four. I mean, I'm not saying there are, I'm not saying there aren't players out there that have done that and will like, I mean, if this were like a big podcast, someone would be like, no, my character had a three and I played that fucker. Right. But, um, but you know, it's like how, if, how many stories do you hear about people? Oh, first character, favorite character, this character. Oh, never, never a three though. Never a three. That's true. But you should, right? I mean, there, sh- there should yeah. be characters with the three with all the 18s out there. If you're rolling 3d6. We're, we're re- recalling our games through the rose-colored glasses. And then when uh, Unearthed Arcana came out for first edition, they had all these different options. The most basic one being 4d6 drop the lowest. So the chances of three there were even even less. Yeah. Yeah, remember the the uh, the dice multipliers? There was like a table in the back. So if you're playing a ranger, oh, yeah. you would roll like seven d six, and if you for strength, and like it went from nine to yep. three. Yeah, it was crazy. Like you couldn't get a yeah. You, if that's your first character, then it, maybe that maybe that explains all the great first characters. Everybody had a first edition on Arthur Kane. You know, you know the the funny thing is later on we hear about. Um, BA's character that I I think I think that is the one character in the entire Muncieverse that he probably actually rolled the ability scores and kept them. <laughs> Tar Markvar. His pathetic character that everybody thinks is pathetic and everybody hates hearing about. <laughs> That's the only honest character in the whole in the whole uh game or the whole series. Back to the strip. It's only two pages long. It ends with a, a table flip with Bob passed out without his glasses on and just total mayhem. Yeah. Yeah, it's a classic. The The next one, 
we slide on down to buy the book. <laughs> this is, and you know, for me, this has always been a thing. Like the, the premise of the strip is BA has changed some of the monster stats and all to, uh, is a dragon. And, and apparently that's, you know, you're not supposed to do that. And this version of Hackmaster they're playing, according to Gary Jackson, the, you know, the godfather of gaming, uh, the president or whatever of, uh, of uh, hard eight enterprises, you're not supposed to modify the dragon stats at all. And they call him out on it. And there's, there's drama over that. But what I'm used to is you never knew even back then going in, especially I think there was a handbook that came out called a humanoid handbook. Like after that came out, like, Holy cow, man, that goblin could be a freaking wizard. I mean, you just never hated that book when I got it because I used it quite a bit and here it's talked, Talking about uh, nobody said this is a uh, a normal blue spiny horn dragon. And Dave's like, yeah, but these should only have 75 to 100 hit points tops. BA is really not. In, in these early, he gets better later, but in these early strips, he's really not very good at countering these guys because I would have just been like, this isn't a blue spiny dragon. This is a different dragon that just looks an awful lot like a blue spiny dragon. So I didn't modify any dragon stats. This is a completely homebrew dragon. Yeah, it's, a mid, could... it's a midnight blue spiny horn dragon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's right. It's, it's spiny horn dragon-esque. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I would have a serious problem with uh, someone looking up a mon- monster stats in the middle oh, of the game okay. anyway. I'd pr- I think I'd get pretty upset about that. Back when I was behind the screen, my famous quote, and people, will, some of the guys that I used to play with years ago, when I, I'll, I'll hear this every now and then now, it became a big thing, is my response to, if when folks would question things like that, was, you know, why is this dragon? He doesn't seem to have the stats he's supposed to have. I'll say, well, you, you don't know, do you? Your character doesn't know. You have no idea why this guy should be, you know, laying in a pool of blood and he's still, you know, clawing and scratching. Yeah, you don't know. Maybe you'll figure it out someday, but... And I'll elaborate on Steve's comment about players looking stuff up. There was one time one of my players wanted to run a 1E game at the game store just to refresh his memory on the rules because he was going to run it at a con. And so he was running us through the Tomb of Horrors, which I was quite familiar with. I'd run it several times. Well, that was when Watsy had re-released the hardcover of the first four S adventures, and one of the players walked over and bought it and started thumbing through it at the table. Oh, dude. Like, wow. Just, it just took a lot of balls to do that. I've had, I've had people look up monsters before. And not say anything about it, but I know they did. I mean, one time because they quoted like an actual number and I kind of said something to them about it after the game. But um, I don't think I've ever had anybody like reading the adventure or or if they did, they were pretty sneaky about it. Oh, I've, but, I've had that happen a couple of times the past few years, actually. But did did you guys ever encounter anything like this even way back then, like where you couldn't change the monster? I mean, I've had people complain about it, but like, is that really very prevalent? Usually, it seems like only the po- only the, like real power gamers ever care about this. Yeah, I don't think I've ever encountered it. I did I did once, but it wasn't a dragon; it was a skeleton. And this guy got mad. And this was in third edition, so I'm a little surprised, but like. Guy got mad at me because I had they were in this crypt and I had these skeletons that would like hit and run. So they would shoot them and run away with a with like a bow. And he's like, skeletons don't can't do that and they don't do that and they don't have bows, they have scimitars or whatever the hell the weapon was and the like I was like, Are you kidding me? Um But that's like I that's I think that's like the only time I've really run into that about something custom. Yeah, the only time we would call somebody out is if it looked like they were on the fly changing up stuff, you know, because maybe we had bested it a little too easy yeah. or, you know, so they would, you know, and you could tell 
We, you can tell when a DM is is winging it and is just trying to screw you. Yep. <laughs> screw you over. Oh, maybe he's got a few more hit die than what I thought he had at the beginning of the combat. That's okay. But but yeah, other than that, no, man. To me, I always thought about the DM had two jobs, right? One is either you're purchasing or creating the adventure. That's one hat. Then you take that hat off and then you administer the the adventure. And I always try to not, obviously, if you're sitting at, you know behind the screen, the adventure should be balanced and, and all that. And I try not to, I mean, just try to run it as is, man, and let the dice fall where they may. And if I put in something a little too tough, maybe, maybe you got to run away one time. Yeah, because players run away a lot. Yeah, 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 they're more than willing. They do, they, they you're, so you're saying players don't make the assumption that everything is there designed for them to defeat it and they should never have to run away or or flee or rethink things or anything. They're there, they're there to kill it, right? I think we're going down a rabbit hole here. About, yeah. The, yeah. about this spiny dragon. The, yeah, you're you're already getting into the topics of shows 17 through yeah, 34. Yeah, yeah. That's the that's the topic runs the yeah, yeah, 17 on the, uh, part series on. Yeah, on the second page of the strip, it shows both uh, Brian and Dave looking through the Hacklepedia Beast and quoting its stats out. Yep. Yep. The next one's kind of along the same lines, too. Attack of the Rules Lawyer. Yeah, and this is based on a story related by Jason Hol- Holmgren. If you're listening, Jason, thanks for the submission. Why are you thanking him? He didn't give know. it to you. <laughs> well, that we get to talk about is a good well, strip. That's right. It is a good strip. So th- this happened. Actually, something very similar to this happened to my brother's. I think it was a second edition campaign uh, a long time ago. This would have been, oh, I'll say a long time ago. This would have probably been the late 90s. So, yeah, it would have been second edition. The campaign's just starting. It's seen, you know, the first scene where the big bad villain, who's five levels higher than everybody, makes an appearance and then, like, steps through a portal and, like, creates the tension then that we will resolve through the campaign. And one of the dudes, a friend of mine, Russell, had a mage in the back, and he was like, I'm going to fling a male sasset arrow at him and did a critical hit. And at that time, we used a rule called a blockman, where if you roll two D20s, then you roll on this critical hit table in the Dragon Magazine. And and he got, like, instant death. Like, it just, like, crazy. Like, we couldn't believe it. Like, this is the big bad dude. And my brother rolled with it. To his credit, man, you could see he was he was stunned and he was, you know, on his heels, but he gathered his wits and, uh, you know, his his minions kind of dragged him through the portal and we, we couldn't get to the body to, to loot all his cool gear. But, but yeah, sometimes uh, I could t- I could see the look in my brother's eyes. He he wanted to somehow thwart that. But it was I mean, it was right there. We were double zeros or whatever it was. It was like instant death for the critical hit. So anyway, that's that's my big story on on how uh, uh, sometimes a rules lawyer or the, the GM, ha- something happens that you don't expect, and then you got rules that's like, yeah. ah, I can't yeah, the rules this. Just obviously back up what happened that you didn't want to happen. And I had a similar situation in a Hackmaster campaign I ran a few years ago. The players were getting cocky, and so I decided to throw throw them up against a hill giant which is like five levels beyond their ability but it was just like up on the side of a hill tossing boulders down and they were mounted on horses all they had to do is take off riding to avoid it well they don't they decide to dismount and start moving up the three main fighters because move. because every monster is there for them to kill oh, exactly as I mentioned exactly so the three main fighters a human ranger a half orc fighter and a human fighter going for knighthood come up to confront it and the little little bitty female half-elf mage thief starts to slip up behind it well they found out quickly that this hill giant was beyond their ability because two of the big fighters are taking out 
first two swings from the giant and fell to the threshold of pain numbers. Then the damn little mage thief comes up with a called shot to the Achilles tendon and does a critical hit, automatically topping it. She runs up and slits its throat. Oh. And like, uh just got lucky on the dice there and yeah, Hack, Hackmaster lends itself to that kind of thing. I mean, honestly, I think the only the only game I, I can't say this with certainty, but that happened several times in Hackmaster. It is I I can't recall any specific time it's happened like that in another game. Now I've had I've had lots of lots of situations where like the players take down the boss. A lot of times at convention games, like people see a path towards the, you know, like a shortcut and they run with it. And, you know, and some of that's like adventure design is not very good or whatever. It lets them kind of go right to the end. But um, Hackmaster, though, with the um, with the uh, crit tables, I, I had this halfling dude jump in and kill a wolf. Oh, yeah, just... I remember that story. Yeah, it was Asen. This dude had never played Hackmaster before, ever. He was, like, into anime, right? And he wandered in. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll play this, you know. And and he just dove on it, halfling with a dagger, stabbed it, and it was a critical hit to the head. And and he killed this thing, right? That was supposed to be, like, a big kind of climactic fight. And uh, it happens all the time at Hackmaster, though. <laughs> I'll tell you. Like, um, most other games, not not too much. I had it happen in second edition once. Uh, well, second edition still had a lot of the save or die mechanics. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you could you could face tons of different monsters with a poisoned weapon or something and, and go down with a bad save. Lucky roll. I think I think the thing about this strip that is different is there was no saving throw to fail. There was no luck involved. Like Brian set it up and killed that dude. And there was nothing, there was no anything. It was like, right. which, you this know, flat out says I'm expending all of my luck points to guarantee a successful action. Yeah, which, you know, I guess that's why D&D 5 has legendary, <laughs> legendary resistance and all that kind of, to prevent that kind of thing from happening. But So, if you like it, it's bad. If you don't. But um, I would be really upset if this happened in my campaign. Oh, yeah. I'd have that dude brought back to life somehow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I actually I had a DM one time. It was a very similar thing happened. And he was like, all right, I, I admit you guys whipped my big bad. Uh, but you're going to have to whip another one because his brother's coming <laughs> yeah, out of the other room. Here comes his brother Bob. Here comes his brother Bob. Is and I'm just admitting from, it. From home, yeah. sleeping in the guest room. Yeah. He's like, I'm admitting it up front. You got me. But I can't let you have it this easy. There's too much treasure here. I Actually, I'd, I'd probably do that. I'd be like, yeah, all right, you won. Good job. You beat me. Um, it's going to take me probably two months to make a new campaign, so. You guys, uh, yeah. Oh, his treasure? No, no, that's all gone. His minions just ran off yeah. with all his treasure. So. Well, you guys were jumping around, high fiving the success they made off with the goods. But player, I think players need this kind of stuff too. I honestly, I don't get too worked up about any monsters that get killed. Yeah, it's like it happens so infrequently. Happens so... <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. So if we can go to the next one, it's it's really the next strip is almost the flip side. Something something happens that the players it's negative to the players, and the, and uh, it's kind of a let the dice well let the dice fall where they may is the name of the strip. So the players do not heed the warning, you know, BA's warning. Bob and Dave and are adamant about going down to this. Hey, we. Well, Bob actually, the strip starts off as Bob's hammering through the wall. He finally gets a hole through it, and they found a way down to the next level. Yeah, it doesn't work out and well. They warns them that they're not ready for that level, but they don't care. Let the dice fall where they may, down, downward and onward. 
you know, the real, the thing that was funny to me about this too is ultimately BA just didn't have it mapped out. He, he was not ready. Yeah. And, and th this was funny because like, you know, like I've DM way, 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 way more than I've played by a, a huge amount. And, um, I can't think of the number of times that I've stalled a game session because I only had so much prepared or I only had like X amount or where I'll, I'll make a fight drag out. So, Oh, this session. Yeah. Well, I don't want to get too far past this. So I'm going to, I want to make this fight go a little bit longer or something like that, you know? Um, so it, it was, it was pretty funny. I, but like if people were doing this, I would just be like, all right, yeah, go ahead. Keep, Yes. I don't think I would give in the way B.A. did and let him get into it. It reminds me of a single-panel cartoon in Old Dragon magazine. Some adventurers looking on in fear saying, Oh no, it's the unfinished part of the dungeon we feel strangely compelled to avoid. Yeah. Well, I mean, but it's just like in video games, right? There's some places you can't go in video games. I, like, you can't, you can't expect... That's one thing I always thought about the KODT. It was kind of funny. And players, too. Like, in, in I know there are lots of DMs that are like, Oh... I can make it up as I go, right? I can just make it up as I go. But, I mean, a good – it DM can't just generate an endless world if you want it to be anything that's, like – Coherent. Interesting. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and coherent and, and like, where they're not fudging dice all the time because they overestimated or underestimated encounters or whatever. I mean, some people are really good at it. A lot of people who think they're good at it are probably not as good as they think, though, but – some people consider themselves grandmasters. I think I keep taking us off on tangents, don't I? Like instead, I think of we stick all into do, the strip. That's good. That's what, I mean, and that's that's really the 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 magic of Nice of the Dinner Table comic is you read one strip, and then it brings back all these things that may be tangential, but it's like, oh yeah, I remember my brother did something similar, or you know, when I was a budding uh, DM, you know, back when. It, I think we were in early high school. You know, I'm rolling up a dungeon as I go. Like, oh, yeah. I don't have it mapped yeah. out. Yeah. And I, the party, you know, I'm just yeah. like, I'm just like flipping through the monster man. I'm like, oh, you encounter a homunculus. And, and I didn't realize at the time, but it, one of the players had been playing longer than I had. He was like, oh, then there must be a wizard nearby. Because there has right. to be a wizard and you, you didn't even read the description of the monster. You're just like, oh. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even read. I was oh, just it's, like. It's, it's, this yeah. is it. It could be a gazebo for all I know. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Now i got to roll a wizard yeah. out. And, and don't get me wrong. I've had players do this kind of stuff like a billion times. I mean, in the campaign you guys are in, you guys did this once. Like, you just kept you knew there was something down this one tunnel and I'm like, there ain't shit down there. And like, you know, um, I don't want to check out this evil, uh, shrine down in the sewers. Let's go fight some trolls. Well, that's a whole, that's a whole <laughs> different thing, man. That's a whole, I think, I think that we did talk about, I was going to say something about that at some point, but anyway, um, yeah. Yeah. Some, some, Oh yeah, in in the strip they go through and uh, Bob and Dave lose their characters to a trap where a block falls from the ceiling, crushing them. And Brian just yeah, with no with no him. saving throw. Yeah, that's the surest sign he didn't have anything ready because he's like, okay, yeah, like you know, I'll just I'll just kill you off, like it. But no, now here's the thing: if he started ad libbing all of that, like that kind of thing does happen. Like you, it's very easy to overestimate a trap or encounter and forget where your player is at for me anyway. I'm, but you know, and, uh, and when you throw in these random things, like sometimes, or if you're making it up, sometimes you wind up killing them off and then you got to decide if you want to fudge the dice or not. And, you know, but I roll all my dice openly. So if I'm like, well, you guys don't see that cause we play online, but at my table, I roll all my dice out in the open. So, be like, I've had a few encounters where I screwed up bad, <laughs> and the party was gonna die. Like, it's easy to do, but I think he did it on purpose. In this, I think yeah. he's like, he's well, punishing him. I like in the very last panel, uh, Brian calls him out on it, and he's like, "How much to buy your silence?" <laughs> yeah, classic. Next strip 
is Farmer Wars. So BA talks of players into playing this new game, role playing game about farming, and they you know take it to the Hackmaster level. That yeah, they start out as medieval peasant farmers or earn experience for planting and harvesting crops and contending with bad weather and stuff like that. And after two weeks, the guys are so into it that they're plotting against each other. And yeah, okay. So, like when I when I was reading this, you know, I mean, I think the same thing, right? Like, oh, these guys are taking this nice little cutesy farming game and they're turning it into a war game or this hyper political, super aggressive kind of game. But then you start thinking about it, and like. The rules are there, though. Like, like Brian is able to go and tell the Earl about Bob's treasonous actions. So the, the rules of this game clearly allow for this type of thing, right? Um, like extortion and, uh, and, and uh, uh, what do they call it? Libel, like libeling people or slandering people. Um, so this is a pretty aggressive farming game, no matter how you look at it. Yeah, and the one, the one of them, Bob tells Dave, let's try revolting again. Like, again, the they have rules. <laughs> so it's a farming game, but they have rules for revolting. <laughs> yeah, you know. Again. Uh, last time we tried that, I got 50 lashes and was given a wedgie in public. Because <laughs> <laughs> remember, they're playing it. This isn't a role-playing game, I don't think. Well, maybe it is a role-playing game, isn't it? Yeah, because they said it's like Parasite, the role-playing game. <laughs> that sounds like a great yeah, fun then, game. Then right? the violence kicks in at the end where Brian throws a soda can and hits Bob in the head, and then it shows the three of them at the end fighting with B.A. talking to the, talking to the camera. But but in this one, in this one uh, Bob seems to be holding his own, so I'm proud of him. Like yeah. Brian usually is the big baddie, but in this one, I think Bob Bob's little angry scrapper in him came yeah he is a he's definitely a scrapper in this first issue for sure yeah. oh i think later too man they they can they do some crazy stuff you know you know what's funny about this too though? um i was thinking about craig craig zipsy was telling me he taught he taught uh the d team how to play wingspan you guys are familiar with that, right? It's a, the game with the birds where you gotta you're like building a bird sanctuary and you collect these birds and it's really it's a really cool oh, game, right? I've played it a lot. And and um <laughs> I'll take your word for it. Oh really? You guys never heard of it? No. Oh, no, I never heard are, of that. It's it's oh. a really good game. It, it's it is birds though. But that's the point, right? It's birds, like you're collecting birds and it's little drawings of birds. And um and Craig was saying he showed it to um, the D team, or maybe it was just Jalki or something. And Jalki was like, "Like, well, this would be okay, except it should be dinosaurs or something." <laughs> you know, and it's like it's like that idea that even if it's a game about farming, it's got to be like combat. Like it's got like every game has to be designed for a teenage boy. You know, like it's got to be aliens or spaceships or war or something. You can't just have like a game with really great mechanics. It's really fun to play. But it's about like collecting butterflies or something. It's like you know this. This reminds me. I recently bought a copy of Outdoor Survival, yep. the old board I game. Used to have that. And and Jolly's comment when he when I you know I, I mentioned getting it, he was like, "Yeah, you know, we used to, you know, somehow he had added combat. Yeah, we used to hunt other characters. <laughs> yeah. and, you know, you had a, we gave him a sniper rifle and." I don't think it's in the, the game, dude, but it sounds cool. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and the thing is, like, when I was a kid, I would have I done that type of thing, too, right? I mean, yeah. I like games that were combat and war and stuff like that. That's I, I think that might be the secret of the Muncieverse. Like, no matter how old they say these guys are, they're all really, like, 15 years old. Ex know? Yeah, exactly. All right, and then finally... Gary Khan. Yeah, this is a short one here. It's a short one. And it it's a it's just a quick like, hey, we're all gonna go to Gary Khan. And it shows them drive. You know, they're all laid up in the car driving. And then they're at Gary Khan. 
like sitting in the same position they were back when they were BA's house and they're all kind of looking at him like, why did we drive 30 hours to do the same yeah. thing we could do at your house? And of course, yeah. uh, he brings up the group treasury and how someone had to be spent to replace a table for the table flip. And Brian's like, why are you going to keep bringing that up? Of course, this is long before Gary Con was a, a real life thing as well. What what was the first year of the real Gary Con? It was like what twenty ten, two thousand nine. Yeah, they uh, there was a there was yeah a zero, Gary right? Gary Con like zero was two thousand eight after Gary Gygax's funeral. People just gathered at the Legion and people started pulling out books and dice and just gaming right there on the spot. And somebody told Luke you should do that every year. And uh, here we are years later with Gary Con fifteen. Coming up, I think. Wow, no, be Gary, I think fourteen Holy. this year. It's, I went to two. That's the only one I went to. Gary, Conn we should have two. one of the producers look that up real quick. We have we have producers for this, right, Wes? Right. In in the van in the van here with us. Maybe they're remote. We got a guy in the chair somewhere that can look that up. <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> guy in the chair. It's uh, Gary Con fifteen coming up next year. Yeah, yep. March twenty third, twenty sixth. So, if you think about, you know, currently, nice at the dinner table, the newer strips is another way it's kind of evolved. The whole Gary Con thing it was in the first issue, then short strip. The premise is we could be doing this at home, but the newer Gary Con, they'll run sometimes multiple issues. Yeah. There's some really cool games going on. Remember Nitro's game where where they uh, were in, were invading or he had the they were LARPing the the, the, the military. That was cool. Mm-hmm. The whole thing with the stormtrooper, you know, door Nazis or whatever. Just lots of really really cool uh, storylines woven through. The, I mean, there were special Gary Khan issues later. Right? Yes, sir. There's a couple of those. And I'll, I'll say that vendor halls and everything. And yeah, I mean, th- this is kind of interesting to me because this is the exact opposite of what I do when I go to cons. I, and I know a lot of people like to go to cons and just hang out with their friends and stuff. And I do a lot of that because a lot of my friends, I mean, you know, George, like we live what, two states away or something like that. Right. Yeah. Um. So I go to see a lot of people, but I also like almost make it a point to play games that I don't play at home. Like to just try new stuff, right? To me, that's the best thing about the con. There is one more strip, actually, the diminishing return. Oh yeah, no, there's. There, come on, Wes, you got to get better, uh, better interns or something. What? Man, I got it right here, dude. No, there's returns. two strips. It's diminishing returns, and then plea for help. That's I know it's. True. I know it's kind of not a strip but it's technically a strip yeah please for help is not in the bot well it's it's like an ad they're basically asking for um asking for oh yeah all our readers to send in their own funny stuff yep So diminishing. this is the one with the flamethrower i didn't even realize i think i when i read through this i must have Man, I forgot about. Yeah, this is the flamethrower, and they actually made. Do you guys? Do you guys remember um, the the Flash episodes of KODT that they put out? Someone did Flash animations right. of KODT. Yeah. Did you oh, ever yeah. see those? Yeah. Like a uh, like a long ago. time. And this was one of them they did with the flamethrower thing. Which seems kind of dangerous to me. I don't know about you guys. I've never used any kind of flamethrower at the table. Yeah, neither have I. I don't think I've ever had a flamethrower in my hands. Ne- never have. Never yeah, have. For, I mean, yeah, for a fireball generator. Yeah, trying to trying to spice up his game a little bit after after cramming two games together that shouldn't have been together, and it ended up being so tedious. You know, looking up this chart, looking up that chart, and really bogged the action down and bored everybody and they fell asleep. Yeah. Kerplunk. One thing that came up 
thinking about Gary Kahn and conventions and how starting the very first issue and then almost really annually from then on, there was many, 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 many strips that included Gary Kahn. I thought we could talk for a minute about, you know, game conventions in general. And I'm not a big con goer. I've been to a few. You guys go to a lot, I know. What are your tips and experience about? Well, if you're George, if you're George, <laughs> it's probably you could be doing this in your living room. Because <laughs> I know how what George does at cons, and he tends to only play Hackmaster with people he knows and hang out and stuff. Yeah, I know. You can make those eyes, but you know it's true. But, like, uh, when you were off, when you were uh, disconnected, I was saying, like, when I go to cons, I almost make it a point to play games that I've never played before, if I can, you know, or that I can't play or don't play at home. That's how I started playing Hackmaster. I played it at a con. I didn't, like, decide I wanted to play and go buy it. I'm like, oh, Hackmaster. That sounds cool. I'll play that. I did not know that. And I I played it. Um, Now, it wasn't Hackmaster 5. It was Hackmaster 4, um, but it got me interested enough to, like, check out the comic, go by the booth, check out the comic. I also played, I think I played Aces and Eights before Hackmaster, um, so I kind of knew about Kenzer, but that's how I started playing Hackmaster was, I, I played the games at cons, man, like, you don't, you don't, uh. Because, yeah, I don't want to go and just play with my same friends. Yeah. You know? I mean, yeah, don't, not that uh, we don't play in games. We do play in games together, but not my game. Yeah. Like, right. I don't go and run a game for them, you know. You jump in as a group to play another game under some random game master or something. Yeah. Yeah, and I usually piss off the GM and, you know, stuff like that. But I bet you, yeah. Everybody's like, you know, Steve GMs a lot for, for us. He, He's very generous with his time. And when he's taking a break or there's everybody's like, Oh, so who's going to GM? I'm like, ah, man, you know, I, I bet you're a pretty damn hard to handle player. No, I, I bet, I'm, I'm, I bet you could I'm be. Nice. I'm, I could be, but, uh, but I'm usually pretty nice. I just want to play. I just like to play, you know, sometimes. So, so my only tip, and I've, like I say, I've, I've been to Gary Con too. I've been to Origin a handful of times. And some local cons, I don't really count that. But one thing that I learned, the very first time I went to Origins, I bought a brand new pair of sneakers, like right before I went, just happened to. And, you know, there's something about a new pair of shoes, the comfort and the confidence that goes along with having a cool, shiny <laughs> new pair of sneakers. Is, that is, that's, a, that's a bonus to a Congo, or in my opinion, like if you're going to go to a game convention, you do a lot of walking and you, it's a lot of social, you get a lot of meeting people and stuff. So having a new pair of shoes, something comfortable, it looks nice. You feel good in. That's my tip. Get your, get your theme music going. Yeah. Your yeah. Music. You got your theme music. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So that's my big tip from a, from a casual Congo or is wear some, wear some nice, shoes. some new shoes if you can. Obviously, Steve, you'd you'd have to buy a pair of shoes every week if if you were. Doing- I don't I don't go to the cons that much. There was a time when I did, but not so much lately. But it's picking back up. But anyway, yeah, I um my my main thing is like I said, like go to a con and at least spend some of your time trying new stuff. Like there's nothing better than learning a game from somebody that plays. Now, one thing that I've noticed in cons has been very disappointing over the last like 10, 12 years is it seems like, like when I first started going to Gen Con again, like, cause I took a, I took kind of a break from gaming and I started gaming again in 2006 and I've gone to Gen Con every year since then. Um, and some of the best games I can think of at cons were from that time period, like several years around the 40th anniversary and all that, because it seems like people were still like they, they were passion projects. You know what I mean? Like people were there because they had some great idea and they spent a lot of time and effort on it. And though there were some games that were just unbelievable. that made me fall in love with, with that game system. Um, whereas now it seems like a lot of games, not all, I don't want to, I don't want to paint with too broad a brush, but a lot of the games that are easy to get into anyway, are like 
you know, like Adventures League or it's a company that's demoing their game or whatever. It's It seems like it's harder to find, like, somebody who's really just put together something special and and you get to you get to play in it. But those are the best thing about a con. Like you'll never get that in because you it's got it's almost like gotta be someone you don't know. You know what I mean? It's gotta be somewhere you just show up and it's like, holy shit, that was like one of the funnest games I ever played in. I don't even know these people. I don't know anything about them. But that was just so much fun, you know? So yeah, that would be my thing. Just try some new stuff. Even if you want to play the games you love to play. The whole, just try new stuff. Yeah. So, George, what's okay. your tip for a con goer? Uh, the biggest tip is don't neglect, neglect your hygiene. There's been times I've sat at a table next to somebody like on day three of a con, and I don't think they showered the entire time they had been there. I actually... Oh, they're, probably, they're probably in a hotel room with 15 people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've I've done that before too, and we we would actually schedule showers so everybody could get in there. But uh, yeah. not so much a tip. Something I like to do is when I'm going through the vendor hall, visit the small companies that are that aren't big. Buy something that's not too expensive of theirs because these big companies like Watsi and Paizo, they're if those are your main. Uh, companies you buy from you're going to be buying from them anyway check out some of these smaller vendors that are just trying to even break even going to the con because just getting a booth set up for a con is cheap yeah that and that, that's kind of like in line with like what i was saying i think you know like don't if you if you only go visit the company i mean that's fine you want to you know you're a big fan of fantasy flight or or privateer press or whatever but like it's cool to check out some of this other stuff too you know the stuff that you're not going to see you're not going to stumble across really anywhere right. else but and you might find gonna... a hidden gem here and there yeah oh yeah for sure i got i got a funny story though about steve right <laughs> so one year one year um there was uh something going there was something in this was so this was at Indiana Convention Center, but it's after they moved the vendor hall into its new spot, right? But it was only like a, a year or two after they did that. And um there was something over in the other room where the old vendor hall was, um, that was really cool. And I don't remember what it was now. They, they like all the wargaming stuff is set up over there and whatnot. There's a lot of really elaborate um terrains and whatnot. But I said to Steve, I was telling him about it, Steve Johansson, I said, Oh, you should really go check this thing out. It's really cool. And um and he's like, Oh, where's it at? And I said, well, it's over in the war game hall. He goes, well, where, where's that? And I said, it's, you know, it's hall. I, I think it's hall H. I'm not sure that might be the new one, but I said, it's hall, whatever. Um, it's where the vendor hall used to be. Remember? And, and it's on like the left side. And, and he's like, he's like, Steve, I don't know where that is. I said, do you, it, it, do you how can you not know where that is? You're You're here every year for like the last, 25 years or something he says yeah but i i come in through the loading dock every day and i come to the booth and then i walk out through the loading dock every day and i leave that dude he had no idea where anything was at the convention like he like i i said do you know where this is do you know where that is and he's like 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 no idea at all i it just blew me away it made me and made me realize like he does not get out man he went to just to that booth and he and he worked all day and but like for 25 years he never just went wandering around or played a game or like anything you know it's like a different type of day at the office for him yeah yeah it's just work you know i guess and and we're talking about steve johansson for folks that don't know he was a part of Kinsler and Company grew grew up with Dave and Brian, friends from way back. He passed away three years ago. Well regarded game designer and you know loved by his friends and fans. Yeah, I've you know I had a funny Steve story as well. We talk about Steve and these guys, and it's not because we're all you know game insiders, it's just because that's how these yeah, folks really, are. I mean, they're really just nice so approachable. People, yeah. I mean, they're they're gamers and they yeah. love gamers. They're so generous with their time and their energy. So it's it's not like I'm trying to name drop or whatever. It's just how they are. I mean, they're just approachable. But but we were at Origins one year, and Steve was wearing this really cool 
uh, it was a hard eight polo shirt, black polo. It had a little H8 logo on it. And I, and I just mentioned it. And I was like, man, that's a, I love that, man. That's a cool shirt, man. You guys, I was thinking maybe they sold them on the, the website or whatever. Dave was sitting there. He was like, no. He's like, we just made a few of these just for us. And Steve literally, he had a shirt on under it. But he literally took the shirt off and like threw it across the table. Wow. I was like, how cool is this dude? You know, give me, literally give me the shirt off his back. It was cool. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy, man. Jolly, Jolly won't even like talk to me when I go to the booth. <laughs> yeah, he, he like gets up and runs out like like he's going to lunch or something. No, I'm just kidding. He doesn't do that. Well, he might. I don't know it, but yeah. Continuing on with the uh, Steve Johansson stories, I think it was my second year at GaryCon. I was getting ready to wrap up a session, and he shows up with a stack of books and sits down stares at me, I'm crashing your session. Like, I just finished it up. We're getting ready to stop. Oh, well, when's your next one? And he crashed the rest of my sessions when he wasn't working the booth just to get some playtime in. Awesome. He's yep. a gamer, man. He's a gamer. All right, that's it. Let's get out of here. to Radio Free Muncie. If you have a comment, you can leave it at our anchor site or you can email us at radiofreemuncie at gmail.com. See you next time.